Welcome to Yarns at Yinhu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 280, Love Will Be There to Greet You. Sunday, June 13th, 2021. I'm your host, Sarah. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you so much for writing in, for interacting with me on Instagram, Ravelry, and in the comments on my website. There have been some recent comments posted, which is very exciting. And there's a feature on my website that Samuel installed, letting you see the most recent comments that have been posted. So if you're curious, take a look. My website has a whole new theme and is much more visually pleasing and easy to navigate than the previous iteration of my website. So I encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. Today's episode includes the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, ever expanding skill set, and off the shelf. Hello, hello. It is early. It is just after 6 a.m. on Sunday morning in quiet, cool, yet humid Delaware Water Gap, Pennsylvania. The studio and the entire Castle Inn is blissfully quiet this morning. I came over to record episode 280 before talking to Dr. Lily and recording part eight of our Elizabeth Zimmerman conversation this morning. I have been working to intersperse my own podcast episodes with our Elizabeth Zimmerman episodes, and I needed to get another one in. So I'm happy to be talking about my crafting with you. Although it has not been plentiful over the past few weeks, work has picked up significantly and school is quite busy as we are in the home stretch to graduation. And our hybrid schedule has meant that just the pace of things seemed very casual throughout most of the year. But now it is the end of the year, and there are hard deadlines for things, and everything needs to be done at once. I look forward to completing the 2020-21 school year on June 21st and getting my summer started. Colleagues and friends have been asking me, oh, do you have any plans for this summer? And my response is that I'm really excited about what I won't be doing this summer. I won't be doing a major home improvement project all summer. Of course, it's Yinhu and 
Samuel and I enjoy working on things. So there will be projects, but my entire home and life will not be in an upheaval. On the contrary, I hope to be able to relax, entertain a little bit, and enjoy all of this work that we've done to make our home a very special place. And we feel very privileged and very fortunate to have been able to do that, even though it meant a lot of hard work on our part. And of course, there will be lots of crafting projects. I haven't made a complete list of things that I would really like to do with my crafting over the summer, but I am very excited to do some more spinning and get my wheel out. I've had various spindles in use all the time because I tend to do a bit of meditative spindling every day, but my wheel has been in a storage area since September, I think. So I'm eager to get that out and do some spinning and do some plying. And I have another like crazy mixed up three ply in mind and uh, a knitting project to go with it. Because one of the things that I've worn the most and received the most compliments on is the little cropped rift sweater that I made with my three ply hand spun yarn. It's super fun to wear. It's very colorful. It goes with everything. And it just has a unique beauty. Hand spun things have this wonderful, unique beauty. And uh, I think I would like to make another little top with some hand spun. So that's definitely in the works. Sewing projects, knitting projects, some dyeing perhaps. Yeah. I'm really excited about uh, thinking of the summer in terms of possibilities instead of a list of things that must get done. <laughs> and the other thing is reading. I have my stack of Taproot magazines that I like to read through in the summer especially I have a few books that my librarian picked out and gave to me related to fast fashion and also upcycling. I have a book my mom lent me. I have a book I haven't finished. Maybe in the next episode, I'll talk a little bit about my summer reading list. So in the comments for this episode, if there are books that you're planning to read or even articles and other things that you're planning to read over the summer, let me know what's on your list and maybe I'll devote a little segment in episode 282 to our summer reading lists. And I'd love to include your suggestions or what you're planning to read. So let me know. The back porch. I've completed my Knit Loops socks. Knit Loops is a free pattern from Knitty. 
It's written by Amelia Archer. Amelia designed the pattern and I knit my version using self-striping yarn from Joanna of Knitspin Farm. In my case, the colorway was International Festival of Owls, which was an absolute delight to work with and was an interesting choice for Knit Loops because this particular self-striping had stripes of varying depth. So sometimes there would be quite a bit of a single color and sometimes there would be very little of another color. And this created some interesting choices on my part in terms of where to make the loops for the knit loop socks and how long to make them. And I'm really glad it gave me that chance to experiment. I talked extensively about the knit loops pattern in my previous episode, episode 278. Essentially, the knitter creates long loops of yarn that are knit into the sock like it in a color work uh, effect in subsequent rounds of the knitting. In looking at different socks online, because the Knit Loops Cal, hashtag Knit Loops Cal, is a great way to look at quite a few pairs of socks in progress and completed, it seems that some knitters knit the contrasting color in every round, and perhaps some others knit the contrasting color in every other round. At least I think that's what's happening, because Some of the Knit Loop socks have a very different look to them. Mine have a very different look to them because I only created the loops and knit them in on the cuff or leg, I should say, on the leg of the sock, not all the way down the foot. In doing that, I believe I have disqualified myself as a competitor in the knit along but I'm still posting my photos to that hashtag so that folks can see them. And it was a lot of fun to participate and have that deadline, which I think is not until June 20th or 21st. So if you're still knitting, I'm sure you're in good company. And this is a really fun technique that forced me to take my sock knitting into a little bit more challenging arena than I usually do. I usually kind of sit in the back seat, bopping along with my sock knitting, (laughs) not taking too many chances or trying too many new things. I believe in my previous episode, I expressed some trepidation about being able to get my loops in the second sock to be consistent with where and how I made loops in the first sock. And it turns out it wasn't that difficult. I feel like I got a pretty good match. You can judge yourself when you look at the photos. These socks are going into my gift bin for later gift giving and the remainder of the gorgeous Festival of Owls Yarn is going to Emily of the Fibertown podcast because we are involved in a continuous trade 
of Joanna Knitspin Farms self-striping yarns. I bound off a pair of socks and that means I cast on a new pair. This time I'm knitting with yarn from Fiber Nymph Dye Works. I love Lisa's yarn and I'm trying for the first time her Traveler Base, which is a sport weight superwash merino nylon base, 328 yards. I think this is great for socks. I change nothing. I cast on the same number of stitches. I knit with the same size needles. I just am mindful of the fact that the yardage is not as great, so they're better for short or ankle socks so that I don't run out of yarn. The colorway I'm using is one of her self-striping fungi pie. This is dyed with her signature pie striping sequence. And I love the colors because I just, I love when dyers put reds and pinks together. I don't know why. It's just so interesting to me. So this is mushroom inspired colors. Beefsteak, which is a reddish brown. Hedna of the Woods, which is a beautiful, soft, medium brown. Pink Oyster, a lovely pink. Chanterelle, which is a golden yellow. And Truffles, which are a very deep black brown. So I'm just knitting these in my autopilot kind of two by two rib for the cuff and then go into a three by one rib for the sock and I'll do my traditional heel flap, heel turn and gusset and uh, some ribbing on the arch of the foot. Maybe I'll try this time, maybe I'll try doing ribbing one by one rib all the way around the arch of the sock and see how that works. I usually just do my one by one rib on the bottom of the foot for about an inch and a half, two inches, but maybe I'll try going all the way around and see how that feels on the foot. I think this pair will be for me. We'll see. Sometimes the more excited I am about socks, sometimes the more excited and likely I am to give them away. <laughs> but I think I think it's time for a pair of socks for me. And it would be interesting to try out that technique and see what I think about the fit. I intend to get a great deal of knitting done on these socks in a very short amount of time. Because this week I am doing several days of language test proctoring at my school. Students take an untimed language test. So I anticipate at least eight hours of really needing to monitor the students, not be looking at a screen. And I will have my knitting there to keep me company. And I will have it in this extraordinary knitting bag that's a gift from my friend, Mary Beth. I have just texted her for the name of this company, but it's very early on Sunday morning. So I don't really anticipate that she's going to reply right this minute. On the handle, the beautiful leather handle to this bag, 
there is the ampersand sign and the letter H. This is a bag that's meant to be worn around the wrist and it's a very tall, narrow bag that you can roll up and then there's a beautiful leather buckle that secures the bag. It's really wonderful for knitting on the go and for travel knitting because it's super deep and your yarn ball can't roll away. There's storage for tools and pockets. I have my little pouch uh, with my notions in it stored in here and I think I can just slip it on my wrist and walk around the room to monitor the students and just keep knitting. Many of you probably know the name of this company. It's very on trend and you might be shouting it at me, but I don't know. And my Google searches have been unfruitful. They're just churning up Twig and Horn and H&M. So I will post uh, a photo of this bag and a link in my show notes, but it's a lot of fun having this bag and a new knitting project and what I know to be a little bit of found time at work to do some knitting. I also continue to work on my Crag Hill shawl. This is a pattern by Cheryl Toy. It's a pattern for Hudson and West yarn. I am using Distal Fink Fibers Farm Fingering in three colors. There's a natural undyed, a beautiful slate gray, and an absolutely stunning golden color. This shawl has some mosaic patterning and some other very simple uh, patterning like yarn over, knit two together to create a little bit of a texture in one part of the shawl. There's some garter stitch. But right now I am working on the mosaic knitting with the dark and the light yarn. It's a lot of fun. It's slow going because this shawl gets really big, really fast. Um, and so a row takes quite a while, but it just feels so good to be knitting a shawl again. And this Distal Fink farm yarn fingering is beautiful, beautiful yarn for a shawl. I'm really enjoying knitting with it. And I'm, though I was between two patterns and I think I would still like to knit pen at some point, I think I'm glad I chose the more traditional shape of this Craig Hill shawl. And I look forward to using it when I'm done. Ever expanding skill set. I've been working on expanding my skill set with wood turning. I've done a bit in the past, always under the supervision of my friend Mary, who's a colleague and a teacher in the tech arts department at the high school where I teach. She is an amazing maker uh, with hard skills. She likes power tools. She likes wood and metal. 
Uh, she's the one who printed out my fern design on a 3D printer. And we have been just de-stressing a little bit, <laughs> working in the wood shop on some turned gifts. So I've been using the drill press and the lathe. I think those are mostly the tools that I've been using. And it, it's just so satisfying to be using my hands to do something a little bit different. I put a reel recently on my Instagram feed that shows uh, the step of burnishing. So once a piece has been turned on the lathe, after using several um, weights of sandpaper to smooth out the wood and before putting some heat set shellac on the wood, the technique of burnishing is to gather up a bunch of the sawdust that's under your lathe, hold it in your hand, and then let the wood spin around in your palm as you press the um, wood filings or wood shavings into the wood. And it starts to shine and burnish the wood before you apply the shellac. It's my favorite part of the turning process. And I'm not sure I have to ask Mary, what is the particular kind of wood that I was using because it's bright orange. I'm not sure if it's Osage orange or maybe some other kind of wood, but we, we found some wood scraps in the wood shop. Some of them are from Martin Guitar. When we take students there, we often come back with a box of scraps and cutaways. So we use some of those for turning projects. And a former wood shop teacher had also dropped off a bag of just assorted different kinds of scraps. So we're using very small pieces of very beautiful wood and it's endlessly satisfying and really a great way to um, just decompress a little bit, focus on the skills and techniques at hand. I have to be completely present because these are not intuitive kinds of skills for me. And it's really fun working in the shop with Mary. In terms of cooking and grilling, I have recently made barbecue sauce using rhubarb. Those of you who have listen to this podcast for a while, know that I adore rhubarb, that my mother has a rhubarb patch. I'm going to try again getting one going at my house. I have not been successful in the past, but I'm going to try again because I just, the idea of going outside and picking rhubarb right in my own garden is just endlessly satisfying to me. <laughs> But anyway, I've been cooking with rhubarb from my mom and that I've purchased at a nearby garden stand. And I'm really fascinated with 
savory applications for rhubarb. A while back, I tried a pizza sauce, like using a rhubarb-based sauce as a topping for pizza. And I loved that. I thought it had that like deep tang, kind of like a really nice tomato sauce. You can almost get a bit of umami going. And so when I was just looking around online for rhubarb recipes, I found a few for a barbecue sauce featuring rhubarb. And boy, oh boy, is it tangy, bright, It's delicious. I was able to make enough for a large batch of chicken thighs that we cooked on the grill, and I froze two packages that I can use later on in the summer. The recipe I used was on the Spruce Eats website. I will link it, of course. It's by Lita Meredith. It includes most of the things that you would think about using in a barbecue sauce, most of the ingredients. I started with really nice caramelized onions, then added the rhubarb and a slew of other flavorings, like a little bit of a lot of things. I think you can play a little bit fast and loose with this recipe, depending on what you have On hand, I did not have the Worcestershire sauce, so I used, I think I just used the other items in the recipe and it came out fine. And then you put all of this in the blender to make it as smooth as you choose. I guess you could also use an immersion blender. I put my uncooked boneless, skinless chicken thighs in a whole bunch of this barbecue sauce and I reserved some additional and heated it up for on the side. I highly recommend this recipe and if you give it a try I'd love to know what you think. Off the shelf. On June 12th 2016 49 people were killed and another 53 wounded in the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub. This act of violence in Orlando claimed the lives of many LGBTQ people, and the majority of the victims were Latino, as the nightclub was hosting a Latin night that evening. I'm going to share with you a poem titled, A Poem for Pulse. This is by Jameson Fitzpatrick. Jameson is a professor at NYU and has written a book of poems titled, Pricks in the Tapestry. I found this poem on the Poetry Foundation website. And I've taken my title for this episode, Love Will Be There to Greet You, from the penultimate line of this poem. A poem for Pulse. Last night, I went to a gay bar with a man I love a little. After dinner, we had a drink. We sat in the 
far back of the big backyard, and he asked, What will we do when this place closes? I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, I said, though the crowd was slow for a Saturday. And he said, Yes, but one day, where will we go? He walked me the half block home and kissed me goodnight on my stoop. Properly, not too quick. Close enough our stomachs pressed together in a second sort of kiss. I live next to a bar that's not a gay bar. We just call those bars, I guess. And because it's popular and because I live on a busy street, there are always people who aren't queer people on the sidewalk, on weekend nights. Just people, I guess. They were there last night. As I kissed this man, I was aware of them watching and of myself wondering whether or not they were just. But I didn't let myself feel scared. I kissed him exactly as I wanted to, as I would have without an audience because I decided many years ago to refuse this fear, an act of resistance. I left the idea of hate out on the stoop and went inside to sleep, early and drunk and happy. While I slept, a man went to a gay club with two guns and killed 49 people. Today, in an interview, his father said he had been disturbed recently by the sight of two men kissing. What a strange power to be cursed with for the proof of men's desire to move men to violence. What's a single kiss? I've had kisses no one has ever known about. So many kisses without consequence. But there is a place you can't outrun whoever you are. There will be a time when it might be a bullet, suddenly, the sound of it, many, one man, two guns, 50 dead, two men kissing. Last night, I can't get away from imagining it, them, the people there to dance and laugh and drink, who didn't believe they'd die, who couldn't have. How else can you have a good time? How else can you live? There must have been two men kissing for the first time last night. And for the last. And two women, too. And two people who were neither. Brown people, which cannot be a coincidence in this country, which is a racist country, which is gun country, Today I'm thinking of the Bernie Boston photograph, Flower Power, of the Vietnam protester placing carnations in the rifles of the National Guard and wishing for a gesture as queer and simple. The protester in the photo was gay, you know. He went by hibiscus and died of AIDS, which I'm also thinking about today because the government's response to AIDS was a hate crime. Now we have a president who names us so big and imperfectly lettered us, and here we are getting kissed on stoops, getting married, some of us, some of us getting killed. 
We must love one another, whether or not we die. Love can't block a bullet, but neither can it be shot down. And love is, for the most part, what makes us, in Orlando and in Brooklyn and in Kabul. We will be everywhere, always. There's nowhere else for us or you to go. Anywhere you run in this world, love will be there to greet you. Around any corner, there might be two men kissing. <laughs>